Well, hello and welcome to show number 282 from Engage for Success. Uh, I'm host for today. I'm Jo Moffat. And today we're going to be uh, coming quite close to home as far as Engage for Success is concerned, because we're going to be talking about the latest findings from one of our thought and action groups, the performance management uh, tag. And I'm very pleased to be joined today by Fraser uh, and Jeff, uh, Fraser Rendell and uh, Jeff Boot. Um, and they have both been working very closely on the Thought and Action Group and um, are going to be sharing with us the, the sort of findings to date. So um, thank you uh, for, for joining us today, guys. Thanks, Jay. Uh, thank know, you, Joe. It's a pleasure good, to be here. It's a pleasure to have you with us. So um, we're going to talk about the performance management tag. But before we do that, um, I wonder if I can just um, ask you to introduce yourselves a little bit for our listeners. So can I start with you, Fraser? Just tell us a little bit about yourself, if you would. Yeah, certainly, Joe. Thanks. Um, well, it's nice to be back on the radio show. I think I was on a show 105 last time, so uh, great to be back. Um, I guess my field um, on, in engagement is slightly different to some people's because I come from an operational background. I spent 25 years working in hospitality, retail and, and healthcare. Um, and whilst I was there, I learned that to be successful in a business, um, it's all about being able to uh, influence people. Um, because if you can influence people, they can influence uh, what they do and, and how they deliver the service, which will influence the P&L. So it always comes back to starting with people. So on the back of that, I started my own business, eTrinity, uh, which is all about providing managers uh, with a toolbox of techniques that helps them to create an engaging culture in high-performing teams. Um, and as well as doing the work for performance management, um, I also run events in the Southeast for Engage for Success. And I've run a number of events over the last couple of years in Kent and Sussex. Lovely. OK. And and Jeff, tell us a little bit about you, because I think you come from um, uh, Cranfield, don't you? I certainly do. Um, I've got a sort of interesting mixture of being a, an academic, but also I have a long history as a, a practitioner in the HR space. So currently I'm doing a PhD at Cranfield School of Management. And what I'm trying to do is research the communication and practices of HR policies. And in particular, I'm looking at the way performance management policies are communicated in a, across an organization and how they're interpreted and brought into being or brought into practice. Right. Um, before that, I spent more than 30 odd years in HR and management consultancy, at HR director level in mm -hmm. global IT businesses and in global management consulting businesses. Right. OK, good. Uh, well, that's great. Thank you both very much. Um, Fraser, I wonder whether you can just give us a little bit of a, uh, an introduction as to how this performance management thought and action group um, uh, came about, really. Yes, of course. Um, so we actually started the group about four years ago. And as with all of the thought and action groups, it really came about by a group of people coming together and saying, actually, this is a topic that we'd like to, to get to know more about. So hence, we, we formed the group. Um, and in that time, uh, we spent a lot of time initially reading articles and journals to understand more about what was going on in performance management. And as mm -hmm. we've spent time working together, we've sort of developed both qualitative and quantitative research uh, formats, which is what we're going to be reporting back on the initial findings on today. Um, mm -hmm. Our initial aim 
was to really try and understand what was it that managers of highly engaged groups were doing with regards to performance management and to see if we could identify some of those practices that they were doing that we could then share with others to try and help make performance management more engaging for all managers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose I ought to clarify right at the start that performance management, when we talk about it, we're not just thinking about the annual appraisal or the biannual check-in. We're thinking about all of the activities that might be going on throughout the year with regards to performance conversations or other activities. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we've been fortunate enough to meet up with some subject matter experts, such as Jeff that we've, we've just been talking to, um, right. and, and have some support from Cranfield. But equally, there are lots of other members in the group um, who've been really supportive in helping to deliver this work. Um, and it's volunteers who come and, and give time as they can. Um, but in particular, people like James Court Smith and Paul Beasley, who've been with us right from the start, have been integral in being able to help us do this work and help us get to the point of being able to have these findings today. I so. OK. Uh, so can you do you want to just give us a little bit of a flavour uh, of what we're going to cover today? Because I think this is this still quite early days, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think it's worthwhile just mentioning that um, this is our initial findings, you're right. Um, And uh, the research that we're going to be talking about today is from our first case studies that were based on interviews with four different groups of people. Mm -hmm. Um, And the sorts of things that we've been finding, which has been really interesting, is that the managers of the highly engaged groups, whilst it's not a surprise that they tend to be very positive about how they deal with performance management. But what was really interesting was how they would adapt performance management um, policies uh, to their own operating environment. So looking at how they could integrate the performance management policy within their operating tools that existed. Whilst Mm -hmm. as the lowly engaged managers, what we were finding there uh, was that it won't be any surprise that lowly engaged managers weren't necessarily as infused by the performance management policy and tended to be much more prescriptive about how they did it. They looked at it much more as a a tick box exercise. Mm -hmm. Um, And what we're going to share with you today is we'll share more about how did those highly engaged managers um, adapt to to working uh, in their operating systems and the benefits that they saw around that. Righto. Okay. And you you said you started off by by doing a, a, a fair amount of reading around the subject and articles and and research and so on. So where was what was the sort of your baseline start point? Then what did you find from that initially? Yes, Uh, well, there's a huge amount written around uh, performance management uh, and a lot of it is giving performance uh, management a bad name. Um, And there's been lots of really questionable headline grabbing sound bites out there. There are a number of articles we read where people were talking, for instance, about 94% of senior management are thinking of ditching their performance management system over the next 12 months. So really uh, questionable sound bites. But Mm -hmm. what was clear, though, is that, yes, performance management is still used significantly and widely uh, as an HR practice. There are many, many ways in which performance management is being implemented. But equally, there are lots and lots of questions around how effective those different performance management elements are. Um, We also saw quite a lot of mismatch between 
the theory about performance management and actually how it was delivered. And more recently, in the last 18 months, we've also seen a lot of activity uh, and, and articles from people actually questioning the standard approach to performance management and looking at alternative approaches. So they've talked about maybe dropping ratings uh, or using check-in meetings instead, um, mm -hmm. which is which I think at the moment the jury's out on whether they're right or wrong because we haven't as yet had long enough to, to judge whether that would be a success or not. But what we realized in all of that reading was that there was a gap in the market and that was around actually how um, frontline managers are conducting their performance management. Um, because we know that there is a link between frontline managers and how they del deliver their performance and therefore how the employee feels about work, um, the manager and the organization as a whole. So we wanted to try and get past those policy pieces and really understand how was it that the manager was delivering performance management and therefore was there a difference between how those highly engaged managers were delivering performance management and the lowly engaged managers and so that's how we sort of came to the the crunch around our our research question which was basically that that question what is right, the difference between yeah what is the difference between how highly engaged and lowly engaged managers are delivering performance management? Okay, and that, of course, is the is the crux of anything, isn't it? C coming up with the question is very often almost as hard as doing the research, isn't it? But so let's let's move on to you, Jeff. Perhaps you could just tell us how you having having defined that question, then how did you actually approach the? Can you just give us a very quick overview of how you actually approach the research? Yeah, of course I can. Um, What's interesting in the question itself is that we were trying to get beyond the policy and into the complexities of how managers and HR and employees are actually carrying out these performance appraisals. Mm -hmm. But we wanted to do that in a way that was robust and would produce some sort of valuable findings. That tends to mean that we really needed to dig into the realities of what's happening on the ground. And the best way to do that is using a qualitative research approach. So rather than using surveys, this was very much about getting into an organization and being able to interview um, HR practitioners, line managers and employees to mm -hmm. understand the detail of what they were doing. Now, yeah. we were very fortunate in that there was a large UK retail property management company who'd got centralized um, performance management policies, but lots of um, retail centres uh, dispersed around the UK. So there was a real prospect that the way they were interpreting the policies would vary um, right. since headquarters are not directly overseeing what they were doing. Mm -hmm. So they, for they fortunately let us in to talk to their HR director and also worked with us using their existing employee engagement surveys to identify two highly engaged teams and mm -hmm. two teams that were lowly engaged. Right. We were also able to not only identify the high and low teams, but ensure that the managers and employees who were present when the survey were done were also going to be the same people present when we went in to do the interviews so we could get some consistency. Um, so having identified um, the departments and the approach, 
um, we developed a clear interview protocol that allowed us to explore various aspects of how performance management or their performance management policy was actually conducted. Mm-hmm. We also managed to collect a team of interviewers um, from within the tag, uh, from a variety of different backgrounds. But to make sure everybody approached this in the same way, we actually ran research interview training sessions and workshops for them all. Right. Um, we so also that's actually, to make... sorry to interrupt you there, Jeff, but I mean, that, that's, sure? a really, that's a really interesting point for anyone listening who's thinking about getting involved in the tags, which is obviously something people do on a voluntary basis. But, you know, you can get so much out of being involved in these kinds of things, can't you? From not just from the networking and the being involved in developing a useful output, but actually from a own personal professional development perspective, your your people um, got access to something that they might not otherwise um, might not always be something they could easily access. Absolutely. And we were drawing on, in a sense, the uh the research training that uh, Cranfield provides its PhD um, students. Right. right. So we were able to draw on that expertise and bring that into the tag. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we not only ran workshops for um, interview for how to conduct research interviews, but we later ran workshops on how to analyse the findings from those interviews. Right. Right. So really um, valuable, valuable training, really, for them. Uh, yeah, we'd like to think so, and we got some pr- very, very positive feedback from the people who've attended. Right, right. So Excellent. having equipped our interviewers with some skills and with a an interview protocol mm-hmm. and a template, um, to make sure that we had good quality interviews, we actually sent in two interviewers per interviewee uh-huh. so that they could help support each other and keep on track. Um and when you're asking lots of questions of somebody, it's sometimes and you're getting different responses. It's mm. sometimes very useful to have a second person there Absolutely. to keep you on track to work your way through that protocol. Yeah. We also recorded all of the interviews and we asked uh-huh. permission to do that. Um, everybody was more than happy that we did it. And in fact, they soon forget that you're actually recording yes. anyway. Yes. Yes. So how many did you do? How many interviews did you do in total? We did uh, 25 interviews, uh, mm-hmm. about an hour or so duration. Okay. Um, okay. Every single manager in the department, and then about um, four um, employees from each team, plus the HR director. Right, right, okay. We also collected um, all the documentation from the HR mm-hmm. director about their um, current performance management policies, their forms and processes, and mm-hmm. some insight into the technology and tools that they were using as well. Right. Okay. And so, what were the what were the in a nutshell what were some of the what were the, some of the key findings, Jeff? Well, I think Fraser sort of flagged some of that already, and um, we like to sort of summarise it really as by saying that the first line managers in the highly engaged teams very actively adapted the performance management policy to their local operating processes and to the people that they were managing. Mm -hmm. Um, So they adapted the policy. Interestingly, those in the lowly engaged teams, they followed the rules. Um, And of course, most HR departments encourage people to follow the (laughs) policy guidance and follow the rules. But it seems to be producing counterintuitively the wrong results. Because they're not following the second enabler, they're not treating their people as individuals. 
Well, not a, and once we start to unpack the findings, you'll see that there are some resonances with some of the other pillars of employee engagement as well. How interesting. Okay. So one of the things that might bring some of this alive, actually, that might help is that as we analysed all the material and we grouped it into these two different approaches, Mm -hmm. um, we were able to break down particular themes. In fact, we identified nine themes okay. um, within the highly engaged and the lowly engaged groups. Mm -hmm. um, we haven't really got time to go into all nine, but if I just pick off some examples, yeah, pick off that some might of the ones help bring this stuff alive. Yeah, absolutely. That would be great. Thanks. Okay, so we talked about this adaption to local processes. Mm -hmm. um, what was intriguing was that in the highly engaged groups, the managers already had a whole group of operational processes and practices in their departments that they used to manage the work and tasks of their employees. That's even before HR provides them with a performance management policy. So the managers and employees tended to very actively use all those local processes and local tools. Um, and we had a, a team of uh, what were called customer service reps um, who basically tried to manage the customer experience in the shopping centers. Mm -hmm. um, the managers had schedules that allocated tasks for all of these people every day and met them every day, um, spoke to them almost throughout the day and didn't use the performance management system at all. So some of the things, for instance, that this manager did was um, they didn't set objectives for any of their employees. They just talked about the purpose of their team and their department. And that purpose was all about creating a world-class customer experience. Right. So you can imagine that objective setting is usually a fairly fundamental part of any performance management system. Yes. And is. This manager wasn't using that. And of course, if they weren't using objectives, when they come to have their discussions with employees, they're also not using ratings. Mm -hmm. um, and yet, when you talk to most employees and most managers about performance appraisals, it's objectives and it's ratings that yeah, feature very strongly. Kind of the foundation stones, really, aren't they, generally? However, in the teams that were lowly engaged, mm -hmm. um, the managers rigorously set objectives for all their people and they used applied ratings to them all as well. Right. Um, but the objectives were often around um, hitting sales targets or complying with company policies and company processes. Sorry to interrupt, but what was the HR, what was the HR director's? view on this when they discovered that um, yeah, there was this sort of um, rogue approach going on or, but but in but in effect the people in those teams were more highly engaged I mean what was there were they they must have been a little taken aback weren't they well we did feedback to both the HR director and to the operations um, chief operations um, director uh -huh. and um, interestingly they weren't that surprised by our findings <laughs> right okay. but they did know that the highly engaged teams um they knew of them they knew the managers involved in those teams 
They also knew that actually not only were those teams the most highly engaged, they actually had the best business results as well. Right, right. So, so the chain that you would expect to see um, of a clear sense of purpose, of high engagement, and of high performance was clearly being demonstrated by these teams, mm-hmm. but they weren't necessarily following the performance management policy. Right. But those that did follow the policy tended to have poorer outcomes. Yes, interesting. Okay. Right. There are some other examples that might bring that to life as well, if it would can, help can you. We, yeah, can we just have one more, and then we'll then we we will move on a little bit because I know you've got a lot you want to cover today, so. Okay, so one of the areas that was intriguing was that in the highly engaged teams, the first line managers took a lot of time trying to understand each of the individuals in their team, their personal circumstances, their aspirations, Mm -hmm. and the skills that they needed to be able to achieve the department's purpose. So the whole discussion was all around what enables us to perform, what enables us to achieve our goal of world-class service or of the, one of the other teams actually collected um, revenue from clients. What do we have to do to do that effectively? Mm-hmm. And so they had this very enabling view about the skills that were required. And then the managers not only had the conversations about the skills that the employees needed or wanted to require, but we're really creative in providing loads of local learning opportunities. They created new tasks. They fostered learning between their colleagues. They created opportunities to go and work in another department to mm-hmm. acquire some skills. Mm-hmm. So all the sorts of stuff that you'd really hope good first-line managers were doing, they were doing. Right, right. In the lowly engaged groups, actually, the managers tended to be very formulaic and mm. in the way that they assessed training requirements um, and their offering of training solutions were all about the formally available training programs. Mm. Mm. So what is the in-house training team providing? Um, have I got the money to uh, support you to go onto that course? Mm-hmm. And the focus of the training was all about understanding company policies and processes and learning how to comply with them. Mm, mm. So it wasn't this enabling focus at all. It was very much a command and control focus. Yes, yes. So very, very different. The other thing that was quite striking um, was another theme that we identified, which is the amount of cooperation and collaboration within the teams. Mm -hmm. So... In the highly engaged groups, with their focus on department purpose, on how do they enable the future performance of their department, the managers fostered a lot of support between their team members. Right. Um, so they were always sharing knowledge, working with each other, seeking to support each other. And often they were doing that without the manager telling them to at all. They were mm. taking the initiative to share with each other um, little hints and tips on how to get best use out of their computer systems, mm-hmm. how to monitor how the team was doing. And if one team member was struggling to, say, collect debt from a client, mm-hmm. um, then others would step in to help them. 
Because their target was to hit the debt collection targets for the whole team. Collectively. So it's all about having a bigger cake and and getting a a nicer slice of that cake rather than worrying about the size of my cake, my slice. Yep. Whereas in the lowly engaged teams, those that were focused on individual objectives, they were actually, there was almost an environment of competition between them. Mm. and so they weren't supporting each other. They were just pursuing their own particular targets. And right. those that were doing well were the stars, and the rest were pretty well left and felt pretty unsupported, actually. Mm-hmm. And so fostering this competition didn't actually help lift the performance of the team at all. If anything, it helped lift the performance of a couple of people, but it undermined many of the others. Right. So that so it's clearly an awful lot of, as you said, nine themes. You've touched on a few of them there, which has been been really interesting. I'm I'm going to have to move on, I think, um, because yeah. we're, we're kind of starting to run a little bit up to the wire. But Fra- Fraser, can I bring you back in here to say, on the basis of what you've learned and on the basis of some of those things that that Jeff's touched on, what do you think, in a nutshell, um, companies listening to this can do to make performance management more engaging for their people? Um, yeah, again, there's a lot that people can be doing for that. And, and if I can just give a quick plug for actually, if people want to read it in more detail, they can go to the Engage for Success website to the performance management tag. And we've uploaded the full article there, which people can read. Um, but if I just touch on a couple of areas, for instance, the design and implementation. So the design piece is, is interesting because quite often a lot of people spend time focusing on the administrative process of performance management or actually where we need to spend most of the time focusing is on how do we ensure that the purpose is about enabling frontline managers to integrate this within the systems that they already have. So um, people spending more time understanding operationally what's going on within the organization and how can we make how can we design a performance management policy that will integrate within those systems um, mm-hmm. so for instance the customer service example that jeff's just given about world-class customer service they already had a system in place they were already measuring their performance and their performance was all about forward looking so when we're thinking about designing performance management policies particularly in that environment we think about well how do we integrate that information into the performance management policy to help make sure that it works and and goes further forward mm-hmm. um, with regards to sort of the implementation piece um, thinking more about uh, how do we work with the teams to help them understand how to use the elements that are going to be relevant to them because there we say it there may be some examples where managers actually say do you know what I'm not going to use that element of the performance management tool because it just doesn't sit within how I could use it within the organization. I think as long as they are achieving the long-term outcomes of the organization, then we should probably be relaxed about that because chasing targets such as you have to achieve 90% of this within two months, all that does is tell us that they've done it. And all of the groups Mm. that we met they had done it and they've ticked the boxes and then from an administrative point of view, you could say they've all done performance management, but actually the quality of the outcome that we saw was, was very different. Mm. So we need to think differently about that and not necessarily be more prescriptive, but more flexible about how it gets implemented. Yes. yes. Um, and again, from the training perspective, when we go out there and train it, 
don't spend so much time thinking about this is a nice shiny administrative tool with that we need to follow think more about how do we integrate it into the organization and to those existing operational systems and processes mm. so again help hr managers helping those frontline managers understand the tools and understand what the opportunities are for them to go and integrate that into the systems um yes. would be would be really useful i think yeah Okay. Now, um, I, I'd like to just turn, if we may, in, in the couple of minutes we've got remaining. Um, you, as you say, these are your initial findings, and um, people, there's obviously an, a wealth of information in this, which we've really only skimmed the surface on this, uh, this afternoon. But um, people can download the full report from engageforsuccess.org. Um, but where do we go in the future? I think you mentioned, Fraser, that you're hoping to, to work with further organisations. So how, how can people get involved and what, what kinds of things are you looking for? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jay. Um, definitely, we would love more people to get involved. Um, there's a couple of different ways that we can do it. We have um, the, obviously the qualitative and the quantitative approach. The, the uh, qualitative piece being we'd love to go and do more research. Um, on the interviews in a similar way that we've been doing here. So if organisations are already out there uh, doing engagement surveys and understand where the highly and lowly engaged groups are, then we'd love to talk to them about coming in and trying to understand exactly what's the difference between how their highly and lowly engaged managers are doing performance management to see if we can corroborate the findings and find further detail. The mm -hmm. minimum amount of time that it would take is 11 one-hour interviews. So it's quite low impact, um, but from out of that, we would be able to obviously come and give a report back to the organization, and they could almost look at it as free consultancy uh, mm -hmm. around their performance management and how it's being carried out. We've also, just developed a, we've also just developed um, a great survey that would mm -hmm. allow us to also do that with larger numbers, uh, more broadly across organizations with um, multiple teams, understanding again what's happening differently between performance management and highly and lowly engaged teams and so we'd love to talk to organizations that would be interested in doing that again both approaches can be tailored um, and we can adapt elements of it to make sure that it meets uh, what the organization's requirements are and their culture and if we, they want extra questions adding um, around the topic we can do that as well um, okay. Okay. And what about people wanting to get involved in the actual thought and action group itself, Fraser? Yep, great, because we would love more people to come involved. The more research we're going to go out and do, the more people and opportunity there is for people to get involved. Um, Jeff's already mentioned about the great training um, that mm -hmm. everyone was able to have around doing the, the research interviews, around the um, analytics piece as well. So we'd provide that for everyone who wants to come and get involved and do that work. Um, certainly everyone who's come talks about the great benefit that they find from just having the opportunity to talk about it and find out the information. So if people are involved and coming, it doesn't have to be regular, you can just come as and when we meet once a month um, in the CIPD offices in London, or they can dial in on okay. a conference call. You, okay. you can find my contact details again on that Engage for Success page. Okay, all right, so that's engageforsuccess.org. Um, go to the Getting Involved section, look for the Thought and Action Topic Specific uh, area, click on Performance Management, and you'll find everything you need, including the 
the more the more detail of the report that we've been touching on today. Jeff, thank you very much for joining us. Fraser, thank you very much for joining us, and thank you very much for listening. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>